Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This podcast contains disturbing content. Please take care while listening. Kathy Sutton had been struggling to figure out the truth of what happened to her daughter Michelle at Summit Quest. Michelle's death certificate said that she died of dehydration due to exposure. But Gail Palmer continued to insist that that was incorrect, that Michelle had wanted to die. But then, in an incredible turn of events, Kathy was given a copy of Michelle's journal from her time at Summit Quest. Kathy now had access to words Michelle wrote in her final days. She didn't need Gail's story anymore. She had Michelle's. Here's Kathy reading one of Michelle's journal entries. I hate this place. 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 I hate this place because it sucks. Michelle wrote in her journal every day that she was at Summit Quest, starting with day one, May 1st. On May 4th, she wrote, I hate this place. I want to go home 33 times in a row. And then she wrote, I hate this place, with an exclamation mark, 48 more times. She wrote that she was badly sunburned, had bled through her underwear, but was made to keep wearing them, and that she was hungry and feeling sick. She wrote, I want to go home. I came here to get away from the guy that raped me. My mom left the decision up to me if I were to come or not. I want to get away from here and go back to my family. My life is more screwed up here than it was back in P-Town. I want to talk to my mom and have her get me out of here. Until then, I will not do anything. You can drag me, beat me, insult me, whatever you want, but I won't do anymore. This whole place is a bunch of bull. If I even had the kind of problems you are all talking about, this wouldn't be the way to solve them. I want to go home. Reading those words was devastating to Kathy. Kathy realized that Gail lied to her about nearly every aspect of Michelle's time at Summit Quest. When Kathy found out what really happened to her daughter, she wanted to expose Gail and Summit Quest to the world. Here she is on a show called Investigative Reports on an episode about wilderness therapy. This was no accident. A child crying for help, writing in her journal, stating her sickness and being told this all in her head and that she's a faker and a manipulator and doing this to herself. I don't call that an accident. I call that a preventable death. During my first conversation with Kathy, she mentioned someone named Mandy, a young woman who was in Michelle's same session at Summit Quest. It took me a few weeks, but I finally tracked her down on Facebook. She goes by Amanda now. Amanda wrote me back pretty quickly, but it would be almost six months before she agreed to an interview. She said it finally felt like the right time to tell her story. She's been living with those memories for over 30 years now. The day of her death, I have so burned in my memory that I literally went and had a reverse hypnotism done because I couldn't go to sleep at night. 
I would see what we saw that day over and over and over every time I closed my eyes. No, that day, I'll never forget it. Michelle's journal offers a lot of insight into her mental state leading up to her death and how she was treated. But only someone who witnessed Michelle's death and survived could tell me what really happened. And that would be Amanda DeRose. From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist. This is season seven, episode four. Gail Palmer, I hate this place. I'm Hannah Smith. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen to all episodes of Season 7 of The Opportunist ad-free now at castmedia.com slash castplus. Follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Just like Michelle Sutton, Amanda DeRose grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormon Church. She was the youngest of three girls, and as she got into her teenage years, Amanda started to have what her parents perceived as an attitude problem, a rebellious streak, something that Amanda doesn't deny. But now, as an adult, she attributes that to sexual abuse she suffered from ages 5 to 11, Abuse that she hid from her parents for fear of how her abuser might retaliate. I believe that is the reason that my parents later felt like my attitude had changed and, oh, it must be drugs because, you know, that's what the community would say. And I was a very LDS community. The parents feel that, like, you know, the misgivings of the children reflect on them directly. So it's almost like, let's try to hide that away. So when they started sensing this attitude I had, they were like, well, it must be drugs. Amanda tried to tell her parents that no, she was not using drugs, but they didn't believe her. Instead, they doubled down, isolating Amanda from her friends. I'm like, I'm not on drugs. You can test me, <laughs> whatever. And they're, oh no, we know you are. So my mom and dad at that point, this is when I was about roughly 15, they just started to get really strict. You know, like you're not going out, you're grounded every day. We'll choose who you talk to, we'll choose who you date. And I just, I finally had just had it, and I ran away from home. Amanda couldn't take it anymore. In the fall of 1989, she ran away from home and was gone for about nine months. 
Her parents hired private investigators to find her and bring her home, but Amanda just ran away again. Then, in May of 1990, Amanda got word that her grandfather was dying. She wanted to see him. So she called her parents and agreed to meet them so that they could take her to Springville, Utah, where she could visit her grandfather. On the way back, Amanda's mom suggested they meet her father for lunch in Provo. And I said, no, mom, I don't want to go. I need to get back. I've got work. And, it, you know, I just immediately started feeling sick in my stomach. Like, what does she have planned? Something's going on here. You know, she was acting so secretive. So anyway, we get to Provo, to Sizzler. And all of a sudden, four or five of these really big, I think they were like football players that they had at the BYU or whatever, they hired them. They walked into Sizzler. And this still trips me out to this day. No one did anything. They pick me up. And they carry me out of the Sizzler. I am screaming and kicking and fighting and yelling. And what is going on? Amanda didn't know it yet, but her parents had hired a youth transport service to take her to Summit Quest, the same way Tamira's parents had to take them to Challenger. All these years later, what seemed to stick out the most to Amanda about this experience is how no one in the restaurant did anything. They all just watched. Everyone just stood there. They don't know who I am. They don't know who those guys are. They threw me into a van. The van was headed to St. George, Utah, about a four-hour drive. But to Amanda, it felt like forever. We passed through St. George, and we go out into the middle of nowhere. And they had this, like, you know, makeshift shop-type thing set up that was more like a storage shed or something like that. And at this point, it's me and the two men that had driven me And then there was a man named Murdoch that was back at this shelter. And he was the one that was like in charge of health counselors. His name is Dennis Murdoch, but Amanda and others told me he went by Mad Dog Murdoch. He was an ex-Marine. He was a total dick. Just mean, get in your face, you know, yelling at you, degrading you, bringing you down. So they tell me, you have to strip, strip all your clothes off. Now, here's a 16-year-old rape victim terrified. I'm in the middle of nowhere. No one seemed to care that I was kidnapped. I have still no clue what is happening. No one would answer any question I had. So they tell me, you got to strip all your clothes off. This could be traumatizing for anyone, but as a survivor of sexual abuse, this was particularly terrifying for Amanda. She had no idea where she was or what would be done to her. And I just remember just sobbing. So I stripped down to my bra and my underwear And they throw some clothes at me and said, you know, put these on. Then they, so I put on my shorts and a t-shirt. I got a pair of hiking shoes and a pair of socks. We all had, you know, basically the same type outfit. So then they put me back in the van and we drove, again, a really long amount of time. But at this point, it's night. So I can't see where we're going. You know, it's just there is literally no lights anywhere to be seen. As they drove through the pitch black darkness further and further from town, Amanda couldn't help but think about her parents. How could they have done this to her? I mean, I wasn't a perfect kid, you know. I I drank. I smoked some pot. I tried LSD one time when I was a runaway. I understand that, like, my parents felt scared and compelled to do something, right? But it's still like, I'm like, I hadn't done anything that bad. (laughs) So I'm still trying to, like, what the hell is going on? Why would I be subjected to this? I mean, to strip in front of total strangers and get kidnapped? It was absolutely terrifying. As the van rolled to a stop, Amanda saw the bright orange light of a bonfire. There were four other teenagers there who looked just as scared as Amanda felt. 
Michelle Sutton was one of them. Amanda joined the group around the fire, and then she said Murdoch started yelling at them. I think we're all just terrified and in disbelief, like, what in the hell is going on? That first night, the counselors gave each kid a sleeping bag, a seatbelt cord, and a metal can. They could wrap up their belongings in the sleeping bag with the seatbelt cord, and that would be their pack. So far, everything Amanda told me about Summit Quest reminded me of what I'd heard about Challenger. The strip searches, the militaristic bonfire welcome, even down to the materials they were provided. No food was given to us, and then we were given two quarts, two plastic bottles for our water. Just two quarts of water a day is what we were given. That two quarts of water was used for cooking, cleaning your body, and for drinking. That's it. And we were in the four corners. Desert. Bad, bad, bad. Two quarts is not nearly enough water to stay adequately hydrated while out in the desert all day, let alone to be spread out for other uses like cooking or personal hygiene. In fact, Utah's Bureau of Land Management advises a minimum of four quarts per day, double the amount Summit Quest provided just for drinking. When hiking at high elevations, they advise eight quarts per day. That night, Amanda and the others were also required to remove their shoes and hand them over to the counselors, a measure taken to discourage the kids from trying to escape. As they crawled into their sleeping bags, a quiet fear came over the camp. If this was night one, what did the coming days have in store? Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen to all episodes of Season 7 of The Opportunist ad-free now at castmedia.com slash castplus. You can follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference, so thank you. Shaving can feel like such a chore, but not with the Athena Club razor. Not only is it a beautiful razor, but it also just works so well. It's gentle on my skin. It leaves my skin moisturized and so smooth and bump-free. Athena Club's razor has thousands of five-star reviews from customers, and it is designed with built-in skin guards to help prevent razor burn while being gentle on curves. Plus, the razor blade is surrounded by water-activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid, which, did I mention, leaves my skin silky smooth. I love that this razor kit is only $10. It comes with two blade heads, a magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of handle color. I chose Match Point Yellow, which is perfect for spring and so much fun. With Athena Club, you'll never have to think about blade refills because you can choose how often you want your replacement blades shipped to you for free. Athena Club has the most amazing shave foam that will leave your skin soft, hydrated, and smooth. Show your skin you care with the Athena Club Razor Kit. Head to athenaclub.com and use code OPP for 25% off your first order. Again, that's athenaclub.com and use code OPP for 25% off. Athena Club has also launched in Target stores nationwide, so make sure to check out the shaving aisle to buy their products in-store in real life. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There were five teenagers in total, three girls and two boys, all between the ages of 15 and 18. There were two counselors, Ruth Young, who was 25 years old at the time, and Lance Ferwerda, who was 26. But according to Amanda, Ruth was the one in charge. She had like, kind of like how you would imagine a mountain woman to look like. You know, She had long hair and she'd put it in a beret, very natural looking, uh, quite a bit of a you know, like a leathery type tan to her face. She had hazel eyes, kind of shorter in stature, but not super thin, but not heavy either. Lance was tall. When we were hiking, he'd sit there and burp and fart the alphabet. He thought that was funny. For most of their time at Summit Quest, it was just the five teens and the two counselors hiking in the desert. But every once in a while, Murdoch would drive in to bring food or water supplies. Amanda said... It was never pleasant when he was around. He seemed to enjoy making things harder than they already were. He would just yell at us and make it really hard while he was there. You know, you're going to go on an extra hike now today. The plan was for the group to be out in the desert for 63 days. And most days, they hiked. It wasn't clear to Amanda where they were hiking or why. They weren't allowed to talk to each other or to ask questions. Michelle had been out in the desert for four days by the time Amanda arrived and the program officially started. The first section was called Impact, and it lasted for two days. They weren't given any food during this time. They were told to forage from the land, which, of course, they didn't know how to do. After that, they were given rations, germade, rice, dried peas, and some flour. But they couldn't cook their food unless they could learn how to make a fire with a bow drill. Michelle wrote in her journal that she mostly ate ash cakes, flour mixed with a little water and formed into a ball and eaten raw. The reality of Summit Quest was strikingly different from the way the program was described in the Summit Quest brochure. Where were the ropes courses, the pottery classes? Gail told Kathy that Summit Quest was not a harsh program, Her daughter, Krista, even spoke with Michelle on the phone before she left Pleasanton. But once Michelle arrived at Summit Quest and contact was cut off with her family, she wrote in her journal, Krista lied to me. She said you can shower every once in a while, but you can't shower the whole time you're here. She also said you hike every other day, but you don't. You hike 10 to 15 miles a day. Summit Quest seemed pretty much the same as Challenger. Harsh and punishing. Which makes sense, because Murdoch, Lance, and Ruth all worked at Challenger before Gail hired them to come work for her. By the way, none of them agreed to speak with me for this podcast. 
According to Amanda, none of them were very nice. Not Lance, not Ruth, definitely not Murdoch. But every once in a while, Gail Palmer would drive out to the desert to visit them. And surprisingly, she was very nice. Gail would be the one that would come in and she'd be like, come and see Mama Gail. Here's some candy, here's some, you know. And it'd be like one little morsel of candy, but it was like, oh, yay. So you got happy when you saw her because she was the only one that wasn't ever just yelling at you or punishing you or disciplining you. Mama Gail, she'd show up and offer the only respite. Amanda said Gail gave them inspirational speeches about how Summit Quest would change their lives for the better. She would tell us things like, all the other people have been through this, have just, you know, they have just thrived and they're not lost anymore and you can have hope to having a better life now. So everything she had to say was positive. She'd bring our letters out to us from our parents, which of course, even though you hate them, it's communication. And that was awesome because you're just isolated. So even though she was the one that developed the program, we didn't see her as that person at the time. We saw her as our savior out there, our hope to having something better. Despite the fact that Gail was really the one in charge at Summit Quest, it would be years before Amanda saw it this way. At the time, she liked Gail. She trusted Gail. Day in and day out, they hiked. They were told to write in their journals every day. Ruth Young read the journals and left notes in the margins. They also occasionally sat around a fire and talked. This was the only time the kids were allowed to talk to each other, and it was only when Ruth was present. As far as I can tell, this is what Summit Quest was calling therapy. Feedback in their journals and the occasional fireside talk, all conducted by Ruth Young, who had no training or experience as a therapist. And what do you remember about your first impressions of meeting the other participants? I don't think any of us dared talk. Like, we didn't talk to each other for a few days. We were hiked nonstop. They didn't encourage you to talk. Each day meant another strenuous hike through the hot desert. It was always hiking, usually zigzagging. Sometimes they would let us keep our campsite together and just take us out in the middle of the night and hike us and then bring us back. So, you know, not every time would we have to repack up camp, but most of the time we would. And then on May 5th, things took a turn for Michelle. She writes, During that last part of the first hike and all during the second one, I felt totally sick. When we got back to our campground, I relaxed for a while. And then I threw up all the water I drank throughout the day. I am down to a very little bit of water that has to last me until tomorrow night. I don't know what I'll do. Today, my sister got married. It was one of the happiest days in her life and I wasn't there to share it with her. I hope it turned out okay. Underneath Michelle's journal entry that day is a response written by her counselor, Ruth Young. Ruth writes, put out some more effort. Ruth Young attended some nursing school previously, was CPR certified, and had experience working in multiple outdoors programs. And yet, as Michelle started to get sick, Ruth continued to tell her that she needed to try harder. They were just very authoritative, you know. They never talked to you. That was kind of part of their punishment was you never got answers. You were never really spoken to. You were only told what to do, and that was that. 
Once Michelle got sick, she wasn't able to recover. There was no relief from the daily torment of hiking hours through the desert with little food or water. And so her condition worsened. She writes, Dear mom, dad, and family, today is May 6th. I have been hiking every day since I got there. I haven't eaten a single thing for three days straight. For the last two days, I have thrown up all the water that I drink. I have a pretty bad sunburn on my arms. It hurts pretty bad. She goes on to write, I wish you guys would let me come home. All the staff here think that feeling will go away soon, but I know it won't. I have never wanted anything as bad than my wish to come home now. Please, I beg you to bring me home. I love you guys so much. This place isn't helping me one bit. I am more discouraged about life than I have ever been. Of course, the Suttons did not see her plea for help as it was just written in her journal and Michelle wasn't allowed to send letters home yet. The next day, May 7th, Michelle wrote that she was tired and still sick. And then beside her entry is a note from Ruth Young. It says, Michelle, I realize you are tired, but you have been sloughing off on completing your tasks. Be aware that you are now being warned. She signs off with, I'm here to talk if you need me. Love ya, Ruth. And a smiley face with the tongue hanging out. This was two days before Michelle died. And then all of a sudden, she's sick and throwing up. And I'm thinking, as her mom, when I'm reading that journal, I'm going, if she were home, we'd be giving her 7-Up and crackers and taking her to the doctor and, you know, things like that. Michelle asked to leave. She wrote about it in her journal as well. She wanted the counselors to call her mother. But no one did. If you had known at that time that she was asking to leave, would you have wanted her to be able to leave? Of course. Yes, yes. But Kathy had no idea that her daughter was sick. She wishes she had been told that Michelle wanted to come home. She said there was time, days, in which something could have been done. But Kathy was given a very different report from SummitQuest. Gail wasn't telling us any of those things. None of that was being told to us. About Michelle being sick and throwing up? No, because what we heard from her, remember, was she's the mother of the camp, a real trooper, leadership qualities. As I sat with Kathy on her living room sofa, she flipped through the bound copy she made of Michelle's journal. It's clear that she already knows what's written on every page, that she's read the entries over and over again. She was thought to be a faker, a whiner, a manipulator, and told it was all in her head, that 10% of her brain was making her do this. That was from Ruth Young, her counselor. And I was like, you know, why did they... How could they treat my child this way? I mean, it's just the anger welled up inside of me. How dare they? How could they treat her this way? During Impact, Michelle wrote that she ate a little bit of cactus and one gooseberry. That's it, for two days. And then on the evening of May 7th, presumably to celebrate the end of the Impact phase, the kids received a gift from Gail Palmer, a big can of peaches. Amanda remembers Gail delivering the peaches in person, but Michelle wrote that they were told the can of peaches was behind a tree. She doesn't mention Gail being there. Either way, Michelle was already feeling too sick at that point to eat any of the peaches. The others ate the peaches, and then they paid the price. We all had horrific diarrhea, massive stomach cramping. We hadn't had any food, any solid food. 
So we all got really sick and almost as much as you were happy to eat the peaches, you regretted eating the peaches because now you were just sick, your stomach was crampy and you had diarrhea and no toilet paper, no ability to wash yourself unless you used the water that you drank with. Despite the fact that Amanda and Michelle were enduring the same uniquely horrible experience at Summit Quest, they hadn't had a real conversation yet. Connecting with your peers was all but forbidden at Summit Quest, the same way it was at Challenger. But the night of May 8th, Amanda and Michelle finally had a chance to talk. I know it sounds like the first few days, everyone's in shock. You're not really talking to anyone. But, you know, what are your first memories of her and what was your impression of Michelle? Okay, so my first memory of Michelle was actually the day before she died. Or not my first memory, but my first time that I spoke with her was the night before she died. That night, us girls happened to be sleeping closer to each other. And that night, Michelle started to cry. And so I just kind of scooped my bag closer to hers. And I said, you know, do you want to talk about something? To be totally transparent, Amanda remembers Michelle feeling resentful and angry at her parents. Although Michelle's journal does not reflect this. But Michelle was in crisis that night. This was the day before she died. Additionally, Michelle had been experiencing symptoms of dehydration. Sometimes that can mean confusion, memory loss, anxiety. And she's like, I hate my parents. They told me I was going to a summer camp. They told me there was going to be cabins and food and that we would go swimming and there was activities. And she's like, I packed my makeup and everything thinking I was going to some sort of summer camp. It was just really sad to hear her story because she she was so sweet and young and naive. You know, you could tell very sheltered. Michelle opened up to Amanda about how she had been raped and how that led her parents to find Summit Quest and how everyone told her that this place would help her. Amanda remembers Michelle being angry at her parents for sending her to Summit Quest. But when I look at Michelle's journal, she writes repeatedly about how her parents were lied to as well, how much she misses them, and how she just wants to go home. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Michelle's last journal entry is from May 8th, 1990, the day before she died. And so the only account I have of the last day of Michelle's life is from Amanda. The following is from her memory. So this is probably 
not a day you want to think about, but I, if you, whatever you're comfortable with telling, I would love, you know, I would like to hear what happened that day as you remember it. So we woke up early that morning. I had a lot more water than the rest of the group. I would say that Michelle maybe had a half of a quart of water and the other one was empty because she was the one that probably drank more water than the rest of us. She wasn't really good at rationing out her water, you know, for the day. But, you know, she was also, like I said, I want to say she was on her period. So she probably was having a little bit of a harder time. She also wasn't eating. The only person other than Lance and Ruth who had the ability to cook their food was Amanda. She was the only one who had successfully learned how to start a fire with her bow drill. All the other kids were eating their rations raw, split peas, germade, and rice. But according to Amanda and according to Michelle's journal, Michelle wasn't eating at all at this point. Sometimes the hikes they did were circular. They would return to the same place they camped the night before, but not this day. They were on their way to a new camp, so they packed all of their belongings on their backs and headed out. The next water drop was hours away on foot. We were all really short on water. I had the most because I just am not a big water drinker. I still am not a big water drinker, but I was the only one that had like a full quart and then a little bit left in my second quart at that time. We were out of water and hiking to our next water ration. I remember that morning, Lance and Ruth talking about how the radios had gone out. They couldn't get a hold of anyone in town and that they were concerned about that. But, you know, they knew where the next water ration was. And so once they got there, they were hoping that, you know, something could be figured out. Since opening up to each other the night before, Michelle and Amanda spoke again that morning as they packed up for the hike. I told her to just hang in there. We'll get through it. You know, we'll all get through it together. That day, as we started to hike, we were going up Mount Delenbaugh and we were supposed to go up and then I think just like almost loop and come right straight back down almost. Mount Delenbaugh's peak is 7,072 feet high. It's a steep, difficult hike. What happened next is baffling, almost hard to believe. Except that it lines up with so much of what I've been told about Summit Quest and Challenger and how these programs were run. That morning, the counselors realized their radios weren't working and they were low on water. They knew there was a water drop near Mount Delenbaugh. But instead of going directly to the water drop, the plan was to hike up the mountain and then turn around, hike down, and then find the water supply and then make a camp for the night. They got up around 6 a.m. and started hiking sometime that morning. According to Amanda, and then later, according to a police report, Michelle ran out of her water by about 10 a.m. and was not given more. They hiked up the steep face of Mount Delenbaugh, and then at the top, they were supposed to loop around and come back down. But instead, they took us all the way over to the other side of it. That's where everything went wrong. But um, as she was hiking up the mountain that day, she was doing, you know, the <sighs> breathing, right? And I kept saying to her, Michelle, you, you've got to stop, you know, take some deep breaths. You're going to make yourself so thirsty. Amanda and the other kids were worried about Michelle. She was visibly unwell, but they were still told they could not give Michelle water. Amanda said the only people who didn't seem to care were Lance and Ruth, the counselors, the two people leading the hike. You know, and she started getting the white stuff around her mouth, right? Showing that she was dehydrated. And so we would stop. And at this point, she was out of her water. She drank it all. We're only like maybe, hell, 
an hour or so into the hike and there was all these trees and you know you're hiking through and you're trying to push all these trees out of your way and they're cutting up your arms and stuff because they're you know desert trees that are like more like bushes or shrubs and I remember that uh, at one point Michelle wasn't even pushing them you know she just they would just scratch her and she didn't even care she just walked right through them and her face was getting cut up and her arms were cut up and and we kept saying, Michelle, you know, you know, we, we got to stop you guys. We got to stop and let Michelle have a break. Counselors Lance and Ruth continued to ignore Michelle's condition and the pleas from the other kids to stop and to help her. Meanwhile, the temperature was rising. We all were burnt. We all had a million bug bites on us at this point. But because she had not stopped those trees from hitting her on our hike that day, she just had horrific cuts all over her arms and her face and her chest. Now I remember she just kept saying, I'm going to die. I can't do this. I can't do this. That was the whole day of that hike. She just kept saying that over and over. I'm going to die. I can't do this. Eventually, Michelle was falling repeatedly. She looked so weak that Amanda and the other kids started to demand that the group take breaks. Lance and Ruth finally conceded and stopped to let Michelle rest but they still wouldn't give her any water. Ruth and Lance had been trained to distrust the teens in their care. They'd been told that they would fake illnesses to get out of hiking. So when Michelle told them that she was sick for days, they didn't believe her. When she said that she was dying, they didn't believe her. They missed blatant signs that Michelle was dangerously dehydrated and they would not give her water. I was not allowed to share my water. Nobody was. So we kept resting. And at one point, I want to say that Lance let her have some of his water. I'm almost positive of that. But if we had done that, we would have gotten held back. They told us that, you know, you'll stay back if you share anything. So if I were you guys, unless you want to stay out here the rest of your life, you won't be sharing. So we'd stop and take a few breaks. We got to the top of the hill. We started coming back down. And that's when Ruth and Lance realized We're not where we're supposed to be. The water's not here. We're lost. What are we going to do? Their group was officially lost in the desert. And can I ask, at that point, you know, and everyone is low on water and running out, were the counselors, Lance and Ruth, worried or panicked at that point? Nope, not yet. Well, at least they didn't appear to be yet to us, you know. They're like, okay, it's just going to be close by. We just, you know, have kind of gone the wrong way. We're going to walk back around the bottom of the base of the mountain. So we come down, we start walking around back kind of towards the way that we would have been before we started hiking up the mountain. And uh, there was a a road that we came across that they used for access to a little cabin they had out there for the National Park Services. And it was around that point that we stopped and they started to go, okay, we can't find the water ration. We don't have radios. What are we going to do? That's more when we started to see some panic. Michelle was definitely showing signs of like massive physical distress. Amanda pleaded with Lance and Ruth, could she please give Michelle some of her water? They said no. At one point, Michelle claimed to see 12 people in the group. She was hallucinating. And I kept saying, let me give her what I have left of my water. And they're like, no. And Michelle would say, just let me have your water. And I have so much regret with that, of course, you know. Amanda had to pause several times as we reached this part of her story. 
The guilt of not defying Lance and Ruth in that moment is something she's never let go. But Amanda was a teenager herself, in the care of these adults, adults who threatened to keep her in the program even longer if she dared to defy them. But as Michelle's condition worsened, Lance and Ruth seemed more on edge. By the late afternoon, Michelle was barely able to walk, and she reportedly said, I can't see. Finally, Amanda was allowed to give Michelle her remaining water. So, finally, um, Lance and Ruth, we talked him into letting her have my water. So eventually, they, we did give it to her. And then at that point, Ruth said, okay, I'm going to take a couple students and we're going to go and try to find the water ration. And Lance stayed back with Michelle. Ruth, Amanda, and all but one of the other kids continued hiking. Finally, they found the water they'd been looking for. It was a big barrel. They filled up their water bottles and headed back to where they'd left Michelle in the care of Lance. We were on the road, and as we were walking, there was a curve. And right as you come around the curve, that's when you could see them the first time. We could see Lance down on the ground doing CPR on Michelle. You know, we all run down. I want to say that's the three of us that had gone to the water. We all ran towards them. And at that point, Lance said, I don't know what to do. She's not breathing. You know, he's still trying to perform CPR. And they both wigged out and literally took off. Took off into the tree lines, like, where we couldn't see them anymore. Michelle was unresponsive, laying on the ground. And Ruth and Lance responded by literally running away. Still, Amanda and the others were not ready to give up. They took turns trying their best to do CPR on Michelle. Amanda said that none of them actually knew how to do CPR. All they could do was try to replicate what they'd seen on TV or in movies. But nothing seemed to help. But we tried to open up the airway better. And then I started to notice that her eyes were getting really dry, you know. And they were just open, just looking up at us. Of course, she was dead at this point. Um, and we're still trying to revive her. And, and then I remember her eyes, like, I was trying to keep them wet, you know, with the water. And we were trying to talk to her as we were all trying to take turns with CPR. And Lance and Ruth are nowhere to be seen now. We had not seen them for hours at this point. And when I say hours, I mean, we were literally trying to resuscitate her for hours. And that's when we stopped us. I said, you guys need to stop because her eyes just shriveled up, you know, like just got so dry, you know, and when you could see all the blood settled down in the bottom of her body. And we knew that she wasn't coming back. Amanda and the others took in the horror of their situation. But um, at that point, we didn't know what to do. We couldn't find the counselors. We didn't have radios. We were in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> scared to death. And then I said, let's light three fires. We'll do an SOS. Let's light three fires. And they're like, we can't light the fires. And I'm like, I can do it. And we got three fires lit, and we kept those three fires burning all night long. And... I just remember looking down the road and her body was laying there, you know, just right there. And, uh, you know, you like keep waiting for her to sit up. You know, it seemed so surreal, you know, like, holy shit, there is this girl that's dead just right there. We're all alone. <laughs> what do we do? Amanda and the other kids stayed with Michelle's body overnight. They covered her in a tarp. 
All night, they kept three fires going, a distress signal, wondering if anyone would come to save them. Gail Palmer had promised parents that Summit Quest would teach practical survival skills, but that safety was the number one priority. But now, here was the first group that Summit Quest ever sent out into the desert. Michelle was dead, and the rest of the group had been abandoned by their counselors. They had no radios, no vehicle, and limited food. There was nothing they could do except wait with Michelle's body and hope that help would arrive before it was too late for all of them. That's next time on The Opportunist. If we were really seriously thought that we were just going to be left out there, what a dumb thing, huh? But we, we weren't certain what was going to happen to us. She was willing to go get whatever help that she needed and put her life in the hands of these idiots, and they took it. The Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with Pesha Eaton, Natalie Gregory, and Sarah Dalgleish. Colin Thompson is our executive producer. Anton Doty is our editor and music editor. The show is mixed and mastered by Matt Sewell. The Opportunist show cover art is by Joel Hassemeyer. Our theme song is Waltz for Zechariah from the album Cholate. Do you have a suggestion for the show and opportunist that you want to hear us cover? You can email us at theopportunist at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. Cast. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash cast plus. Follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.